Welcome to the anointed and transformational teaching ministry of Pastor Walea Kinshiku, Senior Pastor of House of Praise Mississauga, Canada, a parish of the Redeemed Christian Church of God. It is our prayer that as you listen to this message, that you will be empowered to achieve your dreams and fulfill your destiny. God bless you as you listen. The 10 laws of relationship, we started last week, okay? And um, last week we started with the fact that uh, the first law we explored last week is the law of value, okay? The law of value. And we said the value you place on somebody is what determines the extent to which you can benefit from the grace of God at work in that particular person. I won't elaborate any more on that because we've already explored that last week. Then we looked at the law of respect. Very important. You cannot attract value from a vessel you don't respect. When I use the word vessel here, please don't just think of man or woman of God. Think of anybody in a position to, uh, you know, to be able to be a channel of God's blessing to you. Okay? You can't attract that blessing if you don't respect that, that vessel. So we looked at that last week. So this week we're going to continue with law number four. Okay? And this fourth law, or third law rather, that we're going to explore this week is called the law of timing. Timing. And what does this law state? This law basically says the timing of an action is equally as important as the action itself. The timing of an action is equally as important as the action itself. And this is taken from Proverbs 27 verse 14 in the scriptures. Good actions are counted as bad when the timing is wrong. Please follow me carefully today. Proverbs 27 verse 4 in the NKJV version says, he who blesses his friend, which is a good thing to bless your friend, with a loud voice, it's not bad. But the problem is rising early in the morning, it will be counted as a cost to him. So it's a good thing, but because the timing of it is wrong, it's a blessing, which is a good thing, but because the timing of it is wrong, it is now accounted as a curse. All right? So, Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 5 says, Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 5, there is a time for everything. So you and I then must learn the best time to bring up issues. There is a time for everything. So we must learn the best time to bring, us, bring up issues. This is what Ecclesiastes 8 5 says. He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful. In other words, he will aligns with this wisdom of God will not experience anything harmful for a man's heart a man a woman's heart descends both time and judgment okay the heart descends both the time and the judgment please I want you to notice that the one translation says it descends what to do and when to do it let me take you back to the very first part of this series that I taught on that many of the challenges we face in our relationships is as a result of lack of or inadequate application of the wisdom of God. Okay? And the biggest, greatest pain we will ever experience, hurt, wounds, pain in our heart is as a result of 
relationships. And if we don't apply the wisdom of God in this particular area, we'll continue to get hurt. Okay? We need to know not what, just what to say, but when to say it. So there are two key areas I would like you to pay attention to with regards to relationships in this area of timing. The two areas are conflict issues, then major requests. Please write them down if you're writing. Very important. If you're going to make a major request or you want to talk about conflict issues, you want to resolve it, you better obey this law of timing. Very, very important. Very important. Whether in marriages, in other types of relationships, spiritual, social relationships, family relationships, professional relationships, it's important you know when to bring issues up. It's important you know when to make major requests. Okay, let's explore this a little bit more. Conflict issues. While you and I have a responsibility to speak the truth in love, okay, to speak the truth, but it must be done in love, all right? If you raise the issues of conflict without grace, it will not lead to the desired change. This is particularly, particularly more very, very apt when it comes to marriage relationships. Sometimes, you know, people say, uh, you know, my husband is this, my wife is this, my wife is not this, my wife is not listening. You know, I mean, I've had the privilege by God of pastoring for a few years now. You know, and I can tell you, people have sat in front of me and told me my wife is not listening, or another one will say, oh, my husband is not listening, and all of that. And which, which, which you know, on the surface is very true. On the surface, they're not lying. But perhaps, 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 what is happening is you're saying something, but what you're saying is not leading to the desired change you want because certain principles that govern a relationship are not being applied. So listen, <clears throat> to speak the truth in love, which the Bible says we should do, is to focus on the issue and not the person. Parents, please be aware of this. All parents, every one of us as parents, we should be aware of this. When issues happen, maybe our children make a mistake, or maybe they do what they ought not to have done, or they did not do what they ought to have done, we should be careful to isolate the issue from the person. Okay, this is very important. And please, forgive me if I go in this direction a little bit, but, uh, you know, at the risk of sounding chauvinistic, but I'm not at all, I, I want to, please, let you know this. Please, every listener, female listener, please pay attention more to this. Because the way you are wired is different from the way we men are wired. It's not, there's nothing wrong. I mean, we are of equal value before God, okay? We're both created in the image of God, and we are of equal value. However, 
we are wired differently because of the function God wants us to carry out on earth. And it is important we are self-aware so we can manage how we're wired effectively. All right. So having said that, particularly in a marriage relationship, it is very important, you know, that when things happen, we focus on the present day issue and not bring back old issues of seven years, eight years, ten years ago, or adjacent issues of your uncle, your aunt, your, you know, and bring all of that and roll them up into the issue of the day. That will always lead to major, major conflicts. Focus on the issue, not the person. Please keep this in mind. What you want to do is to build your relationship, not to win an argument. Many people conflict the two goals in life. Some people, particularly, this is for men, particularly for men, because of our competitive nature, you know, competitive nature. And, and, and I speak this, listen, as somebody that has flouted every one of these rules. Okay, when I first got married, you know, I married at a relatively young age for people of my stock. I got married at the age of 26. You know, I didn't know a lot of these things. As a man, I'm naturally competitive and all of that. This is what we do in the playground. This is how we're raised. In the playground, you don't beat me. I go before. I mean, we are competitive. Then I bring that into a marriage relationship. We're having a conversation, you know, and the conversation, somebody takes a position, I take a position in, in, a, in a conversation. These are just normal, generic, generic issues. Has not no bearing on our future. Then because I'm competitive, I have to win the argument. My word has to be the last word. Until I realize that I'm doing more damage to the relationship. What do I get in winning the argument? What do I get? I get an Oscar award, an Academy Award for the most argumentative man in the universe. That's not what I want to get. I want to, I want to have a good relationship with my wife. So then I realized that it's better to keep the relationship than to win the argument. As a matter of fact, let me say it this way. As I've you know, grown older a bit now, a bit more mature, you know, <laughs> you know the other day my, my son took a walk around our street. He saw, I don't know, he saw a particular man and we were just chatting. So he, he said to me, he said, oh, I saw somebody, something, something in the street. I think they just moved in and so on. He said, I think the man must be in his maybe like late 50s or so. I said, how will you know that? You just saw somebody for the first time. He said, oh, I saw him. He has some white hair. He said, a little bit of white hair here and there. So I went to the mirror. I said, hey, this boy has been looking at me too much, you know. <laughs> you know. You know. It's important that we keep the relationship and not just win the argument. So as you get older, one thing I've learned right now is that I intentionally lose a lot of arguments because I prefer to keep the relationship. It's okay. If you think I'm uh, this man, why are you? It's okay. It's okay. All right. All right. Okay. So I still want to keep the relationship. I, I don't have to win the argument. You've won the argument. That's fine. I just want to keep the relationship. Okay. Particularly when it comes to, listen, particularly when it comes to things that have no bearing on our future. If you're talking about my values, 
my Christian values. It's a different ball game entirely. But if you're talking about things that have no real, you know, no real thing about our future, you're arguing with me that, you know, uh, you know, Los Angeles Lakers is better than Raptors. I, so I said, oh, but I think Raptors are better. I said, no, this and this and this and that and that. They have a deeper bench. They have a that. They have a that. Okay. Okay. It's all right. It's all right. It's, it's good. It's true. Lakers are better. What was it? I mean, what do I win? I lose my marriage because Lakers is better than Raptors? <laughs> I mean, it, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't sound good. You know, these arguments, by the time you get to the point whereby you're not wondering at the point, how do we even start this argument? You can't remember. We've got to be careful. I really like this scripture. It says, the law came through Moses. And we'll get to look at Moses if, in a few minutes. You know, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Don't forget that. Truth, yes, but grace and truth. Grace and truth. Okay. Let me say this. It's easier to say, but a lot more difficult to practice. And I'm, as I'm speaking to you, I'm speaking to myself also. Please, when you are angry, it's not, when, it's not the ideal timing to bring up a conflict issue. When you're angry, and I, my wife knows, I've said this over and over, we've imbibed in our, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our lives. Please remember this. Never write an email or respond to an email while you're angry. If somebody writes an email or sends something to you, and of course it provokes anger in you, natural, that's okay, okay? But please don't respond to that email, no matter what. Don't respond there. Leave it. Leave it until you are really, really cool. And you can write the email genuinely and start the email in a, with a nice tone, genuinely. Don't respond. Don't respond. Very important. I've seen, you know, it amazes me how I've seen as a pastor very, very prayerful people. People I know that are very prayerful. They love God a lot. And how I see emails flying, you know, between people, and I'm wondering what's going on here. And what's going on is anger. You know, somebody wrote something that provoked anger in the other person. He wrote another one. That other one went into a double dimension of the anointing. Responded, and this one said, you will not have the last laugh. I'm going to give it to you again. And gave it to, you know, and these things keep going on and going on. It keeps going on. And you look, you're standing up, up apart and you're looking at them. They're like two children playing in the playground that are throwing sand or throwing other things at each other. People have forgotten that. You know what? What about grace in all of this? The only thing you lose when you lose this type of arguments is just your ego. That's the only thing that is there to lose. Okay, my wife won the argument that Lakers is better than Raptors. Okay, all right. And so what? You know, praise God. When we're about to make major requests, it's another thing. People just don't know how to make a major request. They don't know the timing. The, the fact that you are in a relationship does not mean that you should not be careful how you make major requests. Now, let me, I'm going to use an example first. And this example is not about major requests, okay? 
This example is not my major request, but it's an area where a lot of men make a lot of mistakes, and it leads to conflict. But it's not about major requests, but just follow me. And I, and I understand and I appreciate the fact that we have some teenagers, you know, that are in the house today and perhaps they're also, you know, joining and watching, but I'll try and make it applicable in a way. A man and a woman are married. I'm talking within the Christian concept now. Of course, the Bible says that the man has authority over the body of the woman and the woman has authority over the body of the man. That's what scripture says. But you have to understand something about the Bible. Everything the Bible says where it stands is true. But where it stands in the Bible is not the complete truth. You have to balance that with truth from every other area of the Bible so that you can rightly divide the word of truth. So, for example, then, so the husband has authority over the body of the wife, the wife has authority over the body of the man. So there's a conflict in the afternoon. Conflict. Conflict. During the day, you know, the man is upset, the woman is upset, the man said some things, the woman said some things. But maybe because, maybe the nature of the man, after about an hour or two hours, the man is cooled down. But the woman, because of nature, the way they created, the woman is naturally an incubator. You know, you give her just one microscopic seed. She gives you a baby or babies from that one microscopic seed. You know, the worst of the woman is, the woman is, you start one little argument, you say a word, she gives you a thesis. Not normally a paragraph, but some people are so gifted, they give you a PhD thesis, 10,000 words. You know, you know, so you've got to understand, she's an incubator, so she, she's still thinking about the word, the thing she said, how the whole thing went, how you didn't really value her, how you shouted at her. The position you were standing relative to the sun when you spoke what you said. She's thinking about all of that, analyzing all of that. She's still hot. And it's going to take time for her feelings to really, then at night, the, uh, the evening, whatever time, the man feels a sexual urge and starts moving towards the wife. The wife says, leave me alone. The man says, what's wrong, what's wrong with you? The man can understand now. And the man now, his ego comes in. He's feeling rejected. It's feeling rejected. It's feeling, you know, you say, what? Don't leave me alone. I don't, I don't feel. And the man is thinking, what's, what's wrong with you? Then the man says things like, I told the man said, what, what you said to me. The lady, you know, instead of the man to understand the lady at that time, I, it's, the woman is not looking for another argument. She's not looking for words. She's just looking to be valued. The man doesn't understand that. The man said, but I said sorry three hours ago. Okay. Then the, the, the woman in her mind is thinking, then sleep with the sorry. <laughs> if you said sorry, then sleep with sorry. Not me tonight. And the man can't understand. Then the man gets upset. The following morning, the man starts the, start, continues with the part two of the fight because now he's fighting because his ego is bruised. You know, this thing is very amazing. A woman... Mm, <laughs> Praise God. Maybe I should leave that part for a sectionalized marriage seminar. You know, uh, it's, very, it's very interesting. Hmm. When a man is having sex, a man is meeting a need. When a woman is having sex, a woman is looking for connection. A woman is looking for connection. 
that's one of the reasons why prostitution is an affront on the value of a woman woman is looking for connection she's looking for relationship okay that is why the only species of God that have sex that God created that look at each other if they want to choose to they look at each other it's man and woman every other species they don't look at because they don't have that connection a dog can sleep with any other dog okay but man and woman because of the connection the connection that's why sex is a lot more than what happens physically the connection okay that's what a woman is really interested in a man is trying to meet a need okay now in a marriage relationship the man must understand consistently how the woman ought to be valued you don't have sex jump out of bed and take the remote control and put on raptors and start watching basketball the woman is thinking what's wrong with you the woman is at her most vulnerable time immediately after sex she just needs a little bit more assurance that she's very valued amen okay uh, i see the way the church is looking at the pastor like father we pray that our pastor will be born again but <laughs> but I, I i'm telling you from experience of marriage counseling and you know how this thing works praise god all right all right all right i got that out of my out of my chest so uh this, this is very important also you know when we make a major request without making emotional deposits in a relationship the other person sees that request as harassment and abuse when you're making a major request without emotional deposits in the relationship the, the other party feels used they feel used they feel harassed they feel abused okay please note that that's very important then we're going to look at an example in the Bible. And the example we're going to look at is the example of Esther and her husband, who happens also to be a king. So, you know the story, you can read the whole story in the book of Esther, where there's a man called Haman, who happens to be the, you know, the point figure, the leading figure, the arrowhead of the enemies of the Jews. And they had designed this plan okay, to kill and wipe out, basically, the whole Jews now so they wrote they put it legally and put it in the uh, you know in the scroll and distributed it now on the particular day all the enemies of the jews had the legal right to deal with the jews and so on and so forth destroy them and take the property and Haman was so excited about it so when the uncle of well the cousin of esther got the scroll you know he was crying and he approached esther to go straight to the king the husband and speak on behalf of the jews so esther then is sent to make a major request of the king by mordecai so in esther chapter 4 verse 5 to 9 i'm just going to go through it very quickly okay in verse 6 so this guy called hatak is one of the king eunuchs that attends to esther okay so she went to Mordecai because Mordecai was mourning in sackcloth standing by the gate. So Esther saw, Esther saw Mordecai and, you know, said, okay, you go, go and ask him what is, what, what is wrong, what's going on? And in verse 7, Mordecai now told this guy, Hatak, that Esther had sent, 
what has happened okay and how the Jews are about to be destroyed in verse 8 the Bible says then Mordecai told Hattak to tell Esther that Esther he commanded her you see that he commanded her to go into the king and make request supplication to the king and plead for her people so Hattak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai now it's very important for you and I to understand something Mordecai had had a lot of emotional deposit in Esther he brought Esther up Esther was an orphan he brought Esther up so he said to Esther listen I brought you up I've done what I can do look at where you are now in life I need you to do me a favor right now go straight to the king and make a major request to save my life and save the life of all of the Jews now naturally when you and I get a request like this from a relationship like that we jump without obeying the law of timing if Esther had done that everybody would have died see but Esther responded you know Esther responded with wisdom that the timing of a major request was not right Esther said no I, I know it's not right and look at Esther's answer all of the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or any woman that goes into the inner court of the king who has not been called he has only one law death except the one to whom the king holds the scepter now that he may live yet I myself have not been called for these 30 days Esther told Mordecai that he said go and tell him no the timing is not right if I step in right now I will be dead and all of you will be dead I understand the pressure on me Mordecai but I can't do it now please friends you got to understand I need to emphasize this part very important never make other people's emergency your own emergency when you sense the time is not right don't let other people's emergency dictate your own schedule when you sense the timing is not right that's a very important thing you will not be helping them you might think you're helping them but you're not helping them when the timing is not right don't make their emergency your emergency many people sometimes they have this emergency they've been processing this for one year one and a half years this issue has been going on for years they've been processing it they suddenly show up in front of you and they want you to change every single thing in life right now because of their own emergency but you've had 18 months to process it I'm just hearing from the last 18 seconds I have something I have to do right now that is also been previously scheduled I've got to be careful about that so you got to understand you got to understand this okay so then Esther then proceeded not just to approach the king but first to make emotional deposits in the king very important so the Bible says on the third day can you imagine that third day after Mordecai said it's an emergency it's an emergency you have to go now you have to go now Bible said on the third day on the third day how did Esther come about this third day well the background of the story is that she fasted and prayed for three days then she sensed the timing was right third day okay she stood and went to the king's house in a court all right and in verse 2 this is Esther chapter 5 verse 1 to 4 
So it was that when the king saw Esther standing in the court, she found favor in the king's sight, and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then verse 3, the king said to her, now notice this, the king said to her now, what do you wish? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half my kingdom. When I read this again and again, I said to myself, this is it. Esther, this is it. Say it now. Tell the king what you want now. The king is telling you it's a blank check. Somehow, Esther felt a restraint in her spirit. This is still not the right time. What I really want from the king is so big that I still sense it's not the right time to tell the king. So look at the request Esther made. Esther answered in verse 4, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come to the banquet I have prepared. You see how God, the Holy Spirit, is leading Esther that make a deposit. Get, don't allow, I don't want to debate, but basically we're saying, make sure Haman is right there when you're making that deposit in the king. Don't give Haman the opportunity to make his own deposit in the king. You do it while Haman is there, and when you read the story very well, you realize what I just said. Esther made the deposit, did the first banquet, did the second banquet, Haman went away, uh, sorry, did the first banquet, Eman went away. While Eman got home, I was still saying, uh, you know what, I went for this dinner. Immediately they came to pick him up for the second dinner. No time for him to go and make any, run any errand for the king that the king would say, oh, I couldn't do what I wanted to do for Eman. Or, or to Eman. This is a very important thing. So Esther then finally makes a request at the right time. So what was the right time? Esther chapter 7, verse 2 to 3. So in the second feast now that Esther did for the king, on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again, you see that? So this is again the king is asking now, what is your petition, Esther, that it will be granted to you? What is your request? You've been, you've, I mean, you've cared for me so much. You know, when I looked at it, I thought to myself, what is the big deal about a banquet to a king? Why is this thing so big? Of, of, why is it so much of a big deal to the king? Then I realized, the higher you go, the more people use you, the less people value you. The higher you go, the more prominent you are in life, the higher you go, the more you succeed, most people you will come across will be users. Only few will be people that will actually value you. So when you find yourself, when you find the one or two people that genuinely actually value you as a human being, value you as a person that has their own psychological, emotional, physical needs, you know, it's incredible how you tend to connect immediately with a person. That is what is happening to this king. The king has the other wives, had other people. Many, many banquets. There's nothing Esther has given to this king that the king can't do for himself. But the king feels valued. That's all. The king feels valued. Verse 3. When Esther answered and asked to the king, If I found favor in your sight, O king, if it pleases the king, let my life 
be given to me as my petition. That's my request. And also, secondarily, the life of my people at my request. You know, this is very interesting. That's the request. That's the request. The king said, you have valued my own life. You're telling me your life? Tell me, explain to me how. So by the time Esther now told the king that, it's actually this wicked human that is here. <laughs> I, I enjoy this story so much. I've read this several times. I keep going back to it. He said, it's actually this. So the king said, who did this? Who is doing this? He said, you know, don't forget. No, no, permit me. The Bible doesn't say this. Okay? I'm using my imagination. So Esther was saying this after the king had finished his appetizer, done the main meal, now having the dessert. You know, just put the cheesecake in his mouth. Then Esther said, is this wicked Emma? And the king is still enjoying the aroma, you understand? The king said, Emma. He said, Emma. So the Bible said, the king stood up. Ah. As he stood up, he went, the Bible said, he went to the veranda, just overlooking the city, you know, with a toothpick, thinking, <laughs> now this is my imagination now, thinking, how, where should I start from with Emma now? What should I, the Bible says, the people that followed the king, the king had not given a command. Amen was now begging Esther, you know, crawling on the couch, begging. By the time the king came out, the way the king interpreted Amen that was begging for his life, he said, you are going to be harassing my queen in front of me. Immediately, the Bible says, the people that followed the king, they didn't get need a command. They just covered the face of Amen, which is another way to say you're condemned. Now, let me explain something. Let me say, conclude this part by saying this to you. Listen to this, please. If you write, write this part down, it's very important. It summarizes it. When you make emotional deposits in a relationship, okay, then you make a request. When the people, it shows that you're valuing the person, okay? It shows you're valuing the person. When you make emotional deposits in relationships, it shows you're valuing the person. You know, we all have our you know, different love language. You know, it's amazing that you, you should know that God also has a love language or has love languages. The most important love language to God, okay, well, one of the most important love language to God is time spent. Time spent. Spending time in the presence of God. As, which, as a result of that, it gives you the capacity to obey Him. That's His love language. The most important, okay, part of His love language. God also has love language. We have our love, 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 love language. If you give people emotional deposits, okay, strengthens your relationship, then, look at this then, write this down to please. When you genuinely value people, when you make requests, they don't see it as meeting a need. They see the request you are making as an opportunity for them to express their gratitude to you for what you have done. Oh, this is so powerful and so important. When you make important, when you make emotional deposits in a relationship, you are valuing that person. When you now make a request, the person doesn't see it as, oh, this person is trying to use me. Oh, this person is, look at the, what this person has asked of me. Oh my God, this request. Is, no, they see that request as a great opportunity. You look at it, the Shunammite woman, saw Elijah and went to the husband, Elisha rather, and went to the husband and said, there's a holy man of God that passes by our house. You know, I want to just make some dinner for him and all of that. Make dinner, make dinner, you know, call the man to come and eat in the house, and everything went well. 
Then the man was going frequently. Then he said to the husband one day, you know what, let's, let's build a place for this man. Instead of him just hanging around, let him come here regularly and just check into the inn. And the woman did all of this with completely good motive. And, you know, she made emotional deposits in Elisha. The woman did not even ask Elisha. One day, the woman said, call the Shunammite woman. They called her. What do you want me to do for you? Speak to the king on your behalf. What else do you want me to do for you? The woman said, no, 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 no. I don't need anything. Elisha should have ended the day, but Elisha felt the pressure of the deposits the woman has made in her, in him. So he said to Gehazi, he said, Gehazi, what can we do for this woman? Gehazi in scripture that is not known to say anything that is selfless, said, actually the woman has no child and the husband is old. Elisha said, call the woman again. They called the woman. Elisha said, now I know what to do. By this time next day, you will embrace the son. The woman said, oh, don't lie to me. No faith. Elisha said, you don't worry about that. That was it. He did it. When that son died later on, and the woman laid the son on the bed of Elisha that Elisha used to stay on, listen to this, the woman ran to go and meet Elisha, got to Elisha and said, listen, the son is dead and so on and so forth. I'd like you to you know, come with me to come and raise the child, the boy from the dead. Elisha sent Gehazi. The woman said, I'm not going to, you have to follow me. You are needed to follow me. That's the major request. Do you know what? Elisha followed. Elisha actually left what was in and followed the woman. Followed the woman. Isn't that amazing? But when Naaman, a mighty, mighty general from the kingdom of Syria, came to the house of Elisha, Elisha did not, he did not come out. He did not even come out to say, hello, Naaman. He sent one of his servants to say, go and tell him to go and bathe in um, the river Jordan. I hope you understand what I'm going to say. This is a very important concept. Very important concept. When you make emotional deposits in people, somebody say, oh, well, you know, it's my birthday party, it's my wedding, it's my this, it's my that. You don't show up. Then you're not having your own wedding. You don't show up, you don't do anything. Then you're, then you're having your own wedding. You don't say, well, no, she didn't, he's my friend, but she didn't even ask me what can she do. She's not even helped me. I don't even think she's reliable. She's not reliable to you because you were not reliable in, your own, in our own time of need. We have to learn people's, people's love language and make emotional deposits. Alright, let's move on because of our time. I particularly like this one. Relationship law number four, the law of growth. This is one of the reasons why many, many Christians are having challenges in their relationships as in marriage relationships, other relationships, parents, children relationship, children, parents relationship, and so on and so forth. Uh, uh, childhood relationships, people you've known from your child in your childhood. This is what, the key reason why they're having. So listen to this carefully. The dynamics of a relationship changes as growth occurs. Hmm. The dynamics of a relationship changes as growth of course. Growth in one person means change is happening in that person. When one person is growing, it just basically means the person is changing on the inside. They're changing on the inside. Oh, please listen carefully. This internal change that is going on on the inside 
begins to release forces into the relationship. It's not intentional on the part of the person, but if the person is growing and growing, what is happening is that because they're changing on the inside, that change unlocks certain forces of nature, just principles of God. And these invisible forces are being released into the relationships and they will create challenges if you're not very careful. So let's quickly go through them. The internal change that happens, please write this down, please. In a relationship, when one party is growing, when you're growing, as you're growing generally, these things are happening in you. Number one, your desires and your aspirations are changing. Number two, your motivations and your pursuits are changing. Number three, your perspective and your language is changing. Please write this down. As you and I are growing, okay, growing, whether we're growing spiritually or we're growing mentally, these things are happening to you. This message is going to even help somebody here understand what's been happening to them. These things are happening to you. Your desires and your aspirations are changing. Your motivations and your pursuits are changing. Okay? Your perspective and your language, your communication is changing. Okay. Let's break it down a little bit further, shall we? Desires and aspirations. As people grow, their present interests, present interest and future aspirations begins to change. You know, maybe some of the friends you had before, you had them because you had similar interests. Similar interests. And you had similar aspirations. You know, I remember when I was, when I was in my, in my, in the university and I was about to come out of university, I had this group of friends around where I lived in Lagos, Nigeria, growing up, and all we used to talk about, we're all in our final, third year, final year in the university, and all we used to talk about at that time, our aspirations was to travel out of Nigeria, you know, and, you know, come into the Western world. I was being trained as a pharmacist. I wanted to come and practice pharmacy, you know, in the Western world, come into the Western world as a pharmacist. Some of my other friends had their own professions. They wanted to come into the Western world. That was our aspiration. We saw most of the magazines we read were magazines that has to do with that. It was our common interest. We shared magazines with each other and how we're going to be successful. We shared Forbes magazine. That was the first time I you know, got to know Forbes magazine. We read Forbes magazine. We read Ebony. We watched funny, funny movies like Coming to America. <laughs> the first part of the movie. You know, we did all of that, those kind of things. You know, that was our desire and aspiration. It's interesting today that all of us then, we were four of us, we're not close friends anymore. You know why? Because all of us have achieved that particular goal. That particular interest, we've achieved that goal. We're now here. I'm here now, some are in America, another one is in London, and so on. We're not close. Because now each person now has a different interest and a different aspiration. Growth has happened. When this new interest, okay, that you're having and aspirations, when they are not understood, 
in a relationship, one person in the relationship will feel misunderstood, while the other person will feel rejected and neglected. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. When they're not understood, one person will feel, you know, I don't understand. I just have nothing to discuss with my wife, my husband and I. We find it difficult to communicate with each other. We just no common interest anymore and rejected. Then these invisible forces are unleashed in the relationship. Eventually, the relationship breaks. I'm going to say something now that will sound a little bit controversial, but I'd like you to please give me some room to explain as we go on in this series. The average Pentecostal Christian thinks that prayer overrides everything. I will say that again. The average Pentecostal Christian thinks that prayer overrides everything. You hear the average Pentecostal Christian say, we will pray, we will pray, we will pray. Not fully understanding that where God Almighty has ordained wisdom to bring a solution, prayer alone will never solve it. Let me give you an example. I am hungry. I have no food. I have no money. I don't know anybody around. What am I going to do? I don't know anybody and I'm hungry. I'm going to pray to my father who is a good, good father. He can give me my daily bread. So I pray to God, God, I don't know what to do. I'm, there's no other place here. What am I going to do? Food, Lord, I need food and all of that. You know, and miraculously, miraculously, as I open my door, I find grocery. Somebody has shopped and dropped it there. You know, the grocery is there, everything I wanted to, you know, I, I find it there, grocery. Somebody has gone to the store, made, done some $200 worth of grocery and just placed it in front of my door. Oh, Father, I thank you. You're a good, good Father. I praise God, right? But guess what? I'm still hungry. Why am I hungry? Has my prayer been answered? Yes. Well, I'm still hungry because it will take wisdom to get the grocery from my door into where it is really needed, to convert it into a form that is needed, and to ingest it into my stomach. What the average Christian does, in that example, as simple as it is, it's very understandable. But what the average Christian does is that after they have prayed, they now don't know that wisdom is now required to be applied in certain circumstances for us to see the desired change. So they feel rejected. They feel parents really go through this a lot. You see parents, you know, when the child, I mean, I, I have been to as a parent, the same child of yours, son of yours, very young, age, age two months, three months, four months. Same daughter of yours, two months, three months. That your wife will say, oh, I'm tired today. Can you bait the baby? That you bait the baby. You dress the baby. Then you say, oh, my baby, 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 baby. The baby cannot do anything but just a smile. Then the baby one day starts saying, papa, mama, papa, mama. Baby is growing. Something is changing in the baby. The same toys you used to give to the baby. You know, you wiggle, 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 wiggle. The baby smiles. You wiggle the baby. No, not that. I want to watch Dora on TV. You see, interest is changing. Aspirations are changing. Then the baby grows up. 
becomes a woman, an 18-year-old woman. And the father is still wants to treat the 18-year-old woman like the 18 minutes baby they brought from the hospital. And the father says, I'm your father. You're not hearing me. You're not listening to me. Yeah, that's no, there's no contention about it. You're the father. You just have to understand. Growth has happened. You have to understand some element of difference in the relationship. Give them an opportunity. You can always have the last one, but you must give them an opportunity to have an input in what they're going to say. When my son was young and I was taking him to daycare, he couldn't decide which daycare he wants to go to. He didn't know where I was going to drop him. I dropped him, he cried a little bit. I said, listen, it is for your own interest. Go there. Stay there. I jumped into my car. I drove off. Two days later, when I came back, I saw he was already, he was fine. Two days later, well, after dropping in second, by the second time, he was fine. He was fine. I took him to Peekaboo. He was fine. He was great. He enjoyed it. Then I took him to JK, SK. He didn't decide the school. But now, we decide the school together. I said, Dad, I don't want that. I don't like that school. Tell me why you don't like that school. Oh, it's, it's, it's so and so and so and so. What about this school? No, Dad, I, I don't really like that school, Dad. My friends are not going to that school. I don't really like that school. I heard about this about the school. I searched this. I found this about the school. I'm thinking to myself, really? You have to be careful of that. You get the, I'm still going to make the final decision, of course, because I'm going to pay for the school. Praise God. <laughs> so the decision is still mine. But guess what? There is nothing as bad as having somebody that obeys but does not submit. You have rebellion right under you. So Bain say, okay, okay, that I'll do it, but it's not for me. And the only way to get them to do that is to let them have their input. Tell me why. The reason is because so and so and so. Then you now be patient enough to explain to them, based on the superiority of ideas, how the one you want them to go to, or you feel is a better choice for them, works better in their longer-term interest. That they might not see the whole picture now, but this is the fuller picture that they will come to appreciate later on. Many parents are not patient enough to talk about that. This, that's the school you're going to, and that's the school. I'm the father in this house, I'm paying for your school fees. That's it. You have, I have somebody that will be, but they're not so You know what the child will be thinking? You have won this time. Give me four years. In four years' time, I won't have the need for your money again for you to be sending me to school. By that time, I'll be working. You come and repeat what you've just said to me now. So, they know you have won the first quarter of the basketball game. Knowing that they're still coming to meet you when you're not tired in the last quarter, then they'll be dunking on you. <laughs> then you pick the phone, then you call them. Hey, hello, I called you two days ago. You didn't return my call. I said, Dad, I'm busy. Work has taken me to, and you're wondering, you're rebellious. You're, they're not rebellious. You just want to understand what you should do. What should you do? And this is not a parenting seminar, but what did you do? Tell them you want to have an opportunity to talk face to face. If you can't, if you're living far away on Zoom or WebEx, talk to them. Let them have an input. Let them talk. You know, I learned this, you know, I learned this from dealing with young adults in our Ignite Church for four years now. The people that grew up where I grew up, they preferred to be given instructions 
people of my generation that grew up where I grew up, they prefer to be given instructions. You and as an usher, just stand by that door. When people are coming in, tell them to sit there. Thank you, Pastor. They are okay with that, and they will do that. You call a young adult. I'd like you to stand at that door. Excuse me, Pastor, can I say something? <laughs> you know, and as a pastor initial, I used to think, what? But I was, Pastor, can I say something? Yeah. I was just thinking that. Instead of me standing at that door, and somebody is standing at that door, why don't one person just stand in the middle? And it can be more efficient. Now, when a young girl says that to the average pastor or parent, you, what they're basically saying right now is that, really what they say is that, my idea is better than your idea. So your ego comes in. You push back. No. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Stand at that door. You guys are not submissive. You should learn how to be submissive. Stand at that door. So the person says, okay, pastor. I stand at the door. And the following Sunday, you don't see them in church. Following Sunday, you don't see them in church. Then you ask, you say, oh, pastor, I was streaming. Which, which basically is the, is the right way of saying, if not that my parents trained me well, I will have just told you that. Keep your church. You know, and we've got to be very careful about it. That, that does not mean that we don't make, but respect them by letting them have an input. That's what I learned. Let them have an input. They say, I want one person. Then you cannot say, no, 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 no. I understand. What you've given me is a good idea. One person in between the two doors is more efficient. But in the bigger picture of allowing, giving more opportunities to members of the body of Christ to serve, that's why we created a secondary position. It might look redundant, but it's to give other people an opportunity to serve. That's why I need a second usher there. He said, ah, okay, thank you, pastor. You see now, I'm not telling them, round one, my idea was superior. Round two, your idea, your own idea was superior. But finally, Round three, my idea <laughs> is not superior. You see? That's how, by the grace and the mercy of God, we've been able to effectively pastor the Ignite Church. They must have an input. Young adults these days must, if you are, if you are parenting teenagers and young adults, let them have, if you tell them, listen, you should not, I don't want you to drink and I don't want you to do drugs. The next thing they will ask you, why? 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 And of course, you're already angry because when your own father told you not to drink and not, you couldn't even say why. As a matter of fact, they, could, they didn't even need to tell you. The fact that they were already telling you means there was a problem. So they don't tell you. So, 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 so you're not ready for the why. So why? I'm telling you, don't, don't, just don't do it. That's what I'm saying. That does not answer the question for them. They will go away, but you know what? It's, it's not resolved it for them. And what they will do is that since you cannot replace, listen carefully, since you can't replace the mindset they have, the idea they have with your own idea, then they will replace you as a parent with another parent. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm telling you this. This is what happens. Even for a leader of a church, that's what happens. Since that's what happens. Then you will now start saying, I'm your father, I'm your mother. I don't want you to be listening to that person. You can't be listening to that person, but the person is now their parent. Because, like young girls will say, the person gets them. Gets me. 
allows me to be myself. What basically they're saying is that it respects me enough for me to offer my, my own opinion and takes time to try and explain it to me. Praise God. Can we appreciate God, please? Motivation and pursuits. One of the effects of growth and maturity is that the goals you pursue and the reason you pursue them, they will also change with time. Okay? They will change with time. Your motivations and your pursuits. <laughs> as a younger pastor, you know, as, when I first started out in ministry, I was always interested. Of course, we're serving God, we're trying to push his kingdom. But I look back now, in the first one or two years, I realized that a lot of the things we did as a church, as at that time, in my own context, in my own specific environment, had not been done before. Okay? I was a lot interested in doing things that would break new grounds. As a far younger pastor, I just started out. You know, right now, after 21 years of doing this, it's not a big deal to me. If God is telling me to break new grounds in certain areas, and we've done that, that's fine. I did a seminar before as a younger pastor, a seminar on a boat cruise. On a boat cruise, that's right. So anything anybody has never done before is what interests me. But that's, that's the energy of youth, which is great. As you get older, your motivations, your pursuits are different. Right now, even if it's only one person, I just want to have the greatest impact in the life of that one person. Praise God. <laughs> you see, as you grow also, your worldview will change. Your communication will change. I remember many, many years ago, one of, our early, one of my early spiritual sons in the church, I went to the parents' house and I was talking to them, and it was around election time. And, you know, we're having a talk about the platforms of the different parties. And this guy was supporting a particular party and was telling me why he was supporting that party. I felt the reason why he was supporting that party was not in alignment with the values of the Bible. So I pushed back very, I mean, this was like 2001, 2002. I just started out in ministry. I pushed back very hard, very strongly on him. You know, I lost him. Not that I lost him in coming to church because his parents were still brought him to church, but I lost my relationship with him. That connection was just made. I lost, what I'm saying is that I lost an opportunity to continuously influence him. I regretted it badly. Because as people, they adopt worldviews, worldviews, worldviews. And if this is not understood, arguments evolve, which is what happened in that situation. And conflicts becomes the result. Conflicts become the result. That is why we have to, if, even in a marriage situation, we must make sure that we are growing just as the other partner, our wife or husband is growing. Please listen carefully to me. One of the greatest men in the whole Bible is a man called Moses. But do you know that Moses was a failure when it came to his, came to his domestic relationship? 
Somebody said, well, I've not seen, I've not, I don't know, I don't think of that. Think of it that way. Moses and Zipporah, his wife. Moses was a failure when it came to his domestic relationship. You cannot stand today as a New Testament Christian and pray that God will make your marriage like the marriage of Moses. The one thing I desire, oh God, as I just married now, is that my marriage to this wife of mine now, Lord, will be like the marriage of Moses and Zipporah. That's the case. You can't do that. Because Moses led, left, left us a very bad example. And it's one thing to just knock Moses, but we've got to find out why so we don't repeat the same mistakes, which many people are repeating today. Watch this now. In the beginning, when Moses, Exodus chapter 2, verse 16 to 22, but I'll move on, move very fast. You know the story, you can read it at home. Moses got to the well. He was on, you know, he came out of Egypt, got to a well and, you know, met these seven girls of which Zipporah was one. Then the Bible says something in verse 21 I want you to pay attention to. Moses was content. Moses was satisfied in, this, in the marriage, in the early part of the marriage. Moses was satisfied. Why was Moses satisfied in this relationship at the earlier part? Because the relationship at that point met all of his needs. He was a fugitive from Egypt. All Moses was looking for at this point in his life. Do you know the most important thing to Moses at this point in his life? Safety. Safety. He was a fugitive in Egypt. They were looking to kill him. So he found a place whereby he could marry Zipporah, Zipporah and that still adored him as, wow, you know, he was telling Zipporah all the stories of living in the palace and all of that. And he found Jethro, the father-in-law that took him in and all of that. So the Bible said he was very happy. But one day, you know, when they even gave back to a child, he called himself and said, I'm a stranger. That's what he said. He said, I am a stranger now in the foreign land. But one day, he had an encounter with God. This is one of the reasons why God says we should not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. For you young adults, you yet to be married singles, as a Christian woman, a Christian man, you cannot. The Bible says, not because it takes anything away from God or adds anything to God, but for your own sake. Because God knows the forces that will be unleashed in that relationship. One day Moses had an encounter with God, as you know, by the burning bush. Okay? Moses turned aside and God called to him. God called to Moses. So what happened as a result of this encounter? God said, I will send you to Pharaoh. So God called him, he had an encounter, and God gave him a new dream, new aspiration, new motivation to live. Right now then, his greatest desire is no longer safety. His greatest there now is meaning. Making, having, making his life have a meaning. Not just safety now. The unfortunate thing is that Moses did not carry his wife along. And I'll show you this now. On the way to Egypt, Moses never took time to sit down with Sibora and say, listen, I've had this experience. I need to let you know. Though I grew up in the palace as Pharaoh's daughter, but actually I'm a Jew of the Jew. And when we give birth to children, he said before I'm a stranger, but when we give birth to children, we are required to circumcise that child on the eighth day. It is the covenant God has with our forefathers, Abraham. So I need to let you know that this child of mine now, just as I am circumcised, I have to circumcise this child on the eighth day. He didn't bring Zipporah along on this, in this particular journey. So on the way to Egypt, 
The Bible says that uh, Moses was on his way to Egypt now. So on, on, on their way, the Lord met him. The Lord met Moses, and the Bible says the Lord was about to kill him, which is the Old Testament, you know, he break worldview of saying that something had happened in that place that was just not right. So when they found out, they found out that it was because the boy was not circumcised. And you can see Zipporah, the wife of Moses' reaction to this whole idea of circumcision, because she's not fully understood the reason why and the benefits of it. So she took a sharp stone, cut off the foreskin of her son, threw it at Moses and said, you are a husband of blood. Okay? To me. And she said, you are a husband of blood because of this circumcision. She didn't tell, Moses didn't really bring her along this journey. That, you know what, I'm a Christian now, I have to wake up and pray, I have to do this, I have to do this, this is what I want to do. You know, I, this thing of Zipporah, it really hits me when I was studying it because this didn't happen to me and Topsy, my wife. How? When I, before I met my wife, three months before I met my wife, I was in the naming ceremony of my cousin, 1994, December 30th, December 31st, 1994, naming ceremony of my cousin. I was not a believer. I was with a group of my friends, and in the naming ceremony, to cut the long story short, the man that was conducting the naming ceremony, a pastor, saw me as I came into the living room. He didn't even know that this was my aunt. You know, he said to me, hey, come here. He said, young man, come here. I was 25 years old. He said, you're going to be a pastor. Now, please don't judge me. As at this time, I was a good friend of my friends. I had, hallelujah, I had a can of Guinness in my hand, which I just put down, I was in the kitchen area, put down on the, you know, on the, on the island, what we call an island here in Canada, you know, on the, put down to walk towards the living room area while they were doing the main ceremony. I just left the can of Guinness. The man looked at me and said, you're going to be a pastor. It's the strangest thing anybody will ever say to me. I just thought, about that. I'm as far from God as anybody has ever been. You know, but I said that to myself. I just said, oh, thank you, out of respect. And I walked away. My friends that had the same thing, they started making fun of me, pastor, pastor. Look at Because when I came back, I continued the journey I had started with the Guinness. So my friends are just making fun of me. So anyway, three months later, March 25, this was December 31st, March 25, three months later, I met Topsy. When I met Topsy and so on, she invited me to church and, you know, I got born again. In the early conversation, the first one or two conversations I had with Topsy on the phone. Because I know she's, she's, I mean, she's a church girl, she's really, really into church. And I'm born again now, but I'm trying to now, you know, impress her. I told her this prophecy. Bad idea. I, I lost her in the relationship straight away. I said, I was just talking, I just talking, I said, you know, um, some months ago I was even in this, uh, my aunt, you know, so and so, I met a pastor, he even said I was going to be a pastor, so I'm going to be a pastor. She just went cold, he was on the phone, she just went cold on the phone. Hello, hello, are you still there? She said, yeah, I'm here. And I said, ah, looks like this girl, the, I couldn't figure it out. You know, she didn't like what I said, though. She did not like what I said at all. 
she did not want to marry a pastor. I did not know. Now, being a Christian as a teenager at age 19 and all of that, she's seen the pressures pastors go through. She's made up her mind. No, I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to marry a pastor. So I had to change it. <laughs> I said to her, actually, then I went back, changed the conversation into the palace. Of course, she knows. I studied pharmacy in the same school, university she went to. I'm a pharmacy then. Then I now gave her very grandiose promises or painted this grandiose vision for her, which she loved, she joined, and she has never forgotten till now. She still stresses me about it. I told her I'm going to be a pharmacist. I'm, what I want to do is, you know, go to the U.S. That was my dream. You know, practice pharmacy and have a chain of pharmacies around. Then, you know, I'm going to be one of the wealthiest pharmacists you can ever think of and all of that. And I painted these wonderful pictures of how we're going to have our own private jet and we can fly to anywhere we want to fly to around the whole world. And all that. She was dreaming. She took it in. She kept it in the place in her heart. She will never forget. So from time to time, when she, you know, wants us to do something around the house, and I'm saying, uh, you got to, like, okay, can we just, like, wait till next year kind of a thing? She said, but you remember I married the pharmacist. <laughs> Remember, I married the pharmacist. I said, it's true, it's true, it's true. So I have to cry to God. But we've got to understand. <laughs> she did not, you know. But what I did that has helped me is that instead of me arguing, I say, wake up to reality. I'm a pastor now. What do you want me to do about that? No. What I did was that as I was growing in this area, I also exposed her to growth in the same area. So she started also growing in that area. And I will show you that as we move on. Moses didn't do that. So what happens then? The relationship broke. How do you receive 10 commandments from God? You've seen God face to face. You've seen all manners of things. And you can't keep your marriage. Moses could not keep his marriage. The relationship broke. It fractured. Why? Moses sent Sipporah back to her father. You see that? After he has sent her back, he sent the woman back to her father. They just could not. Moses would give her, I'm going to the mountain again to, I'm going to the mountain again. Sipora said, I can't do this. When Moses comes back, she nags. So Moses said, you know what? Take your back. Go. Just go to your dad. Moses sent her back. We never heard anything about that woman again. Then the Bible says that the sister of Moses, you know, the Bible doesn't say this explicitly, but maybe had had somewhat of a relationship with Zipporah or had about or because the woman felt for her. When she now saw Moses now, you know, <laughs> marrying an Ethiopian woman, went after Moses' juggler straight away and said, why are you going to marry the Ethiopian woman? What happened to you? Why are you doing this? And so on and so forth. You know, which, of course, she had leprosy as a result and so on and so forth. But the point I'm trying to make here is that that marriage of Moses broke. So, what are we, how do we conclude this now? When things seem to have changed in a relationship and they're not working, it's likely that it's because growth has happened in one person to a degree to which it has not happened in another, play, in another person. Okay? We've got to be careful about that. You know, I'm going to say something now again that will sound a little bit more controversial. But please give me some slack. I don't have the time to explain it right now, but some other time I will explain it. Give me some slack. That's why, personally for me, if I have a biological daughter that is educated, 
no matter what she comes to tell me, I will never support the idea of my biological daughter being educated, being a university graduate, marrying an illiterate. Even if she comes to tell me that, oh, God said, a prophecy came, I'll tell her the prophecy came, I, the prophecy has gone back. You will not do it. Because our present need might be to solve a problem of loneliness. Our future need, that's not going to be the, that's not going to be our present, our future need, she will need to solve the problem of companionship. She is a university graduate. She's going to continue to grow, develop her worldview, her language, her perspective, her group of friends. And the husband, stark illiterate, that still wants to sit down there and be waking up in the morning and playing draft and drinking palm wine, is going to, they're going to, their relationship will fracture. So I'll tell her, no, you're not marrying an illiterate. Not, not me. I'm not supporting it. If you want to choose to go and do that, do that. But not me. You can't find me there. You don't have my blessing. I've seen too much of these things. I've seen too much. One man sat in front of me. Sorry, I don't have too much time. I'm running out of time. But one man sat in front of me and said to me, Pastor, my wife says I'm a boy. She calls me a boy. Keeps calling me a boy all the time. And said that the pastor says and the scripture says, a man shall leave his father and mother and be cleaved to his wife. You are not a man, you are a boy. I said to the woman, why? Why will you use such words to describe your husband? Right in front of me, the woman looked at her husband <laughs> and had this smirk. I said, why? Why are you doing this? Why? So I realized that she was giving me an indication that she wants to say something to me privately. So I said to the man, please just give me two minutes, if you don't mind, with your permission. Can I just speak to your wife alone for two minutes? So the man stepped outside of my door. So I asked the woman, I said, why? The woman said to me, Pastor, I was seven doing youth, national youth service in Nigeria. This man was one of the people that was there that was an errand boy in that place of work. So I was, I was already in my mid-30s. And in the fellowship I was going to, they kept on telling us, God can do anything and there's nothing God cannot do. They pushed me, so... This brother came to me. I told some people in my fellowship and I said I should marry him. I married him. Pastor, I thought that when I married him, he said he was a dropout from high school, that he would, you know, get himself up and all of that. I paid for him to do the exam again and all of that. Pastor, to this moment, he still does not have the high school. He said, Pastor, where I, as I'm grow, growing and all of that, basically, using my own words now, there's nothing we're discussing at home. He said, we just can't discuss anything at all, Pastor. Now, by this time, they have two, three children. I said, no. Okay, because of the sake of the children, I said, Pastor, I understand. I agree. You know, I tried what I could do at the level I was at that time. This was about 12, 13 years ago. The relationship cracked. It cracked. And this is not a license for anybody to go and crack their relationship. I'm just telling you, for people that want to get into a relationship, I'm telling you my personal preference, all right? Based on personal preference. For somebody else, you can choose what you want to do. But I'm telling you, based on my personal preference, I cannot have a biological daughter or any of my spiritual daughters that will see me and give me that permission to speak into their life in that dimension that says they want to marry an illiterate to not happen. I tell them no way. I can't support it. It's going to crack eventually. When both of you are not on the same level, what are you going to do? My wife and I, we look at it now, we're the only ones at home. Only ones at home. Children, gone. This one's gone to 
do this. The other one is going to play basketball with my friends. We're not looking at each other. Hi, hi. Hello, hello. You okay? Yes, I'm okay. Everything all right? Everything all right? What if we don't have anything to say with each other? To each other? It's, December is going to be 26 years we'll be married. What if we don't have anything to say? But right now, we have too many topics to discuss, and it's not just about church. We can discuss Afghanistan. She gives me a perspective. I give her my perspective. We can discuss Joe Biden. We can discuss COVID-19 restrictions. She gives me a perspective. I give her my perspective. Wear masks, don't wear masks. We can talk about it. We can talk about a lot of issues going on in the world. Taliban. I'm not saying no. Taliban is a who's Taliban. No. I know you think I'm not as spiritual. <laughs> In a marriage relationship, it's important that both parties are growing. So you have to choose to grow and enable the people around you to grow. Very also, also very, very important for leaders of organizations. As you are growing, you also have to enable the people around you to grow. It's very, 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 very important. In 2010, I took six people from House of Praise. We went to a conference together in the U.S. You know, we attended the conference uh, together. Uh, one of our uh, precious pastors in the house, Pastor, Pastor Anne, was one of them. She went, she went with us. Uh, Pastor Chuma was also there, went with us. Six of us, six of them, with myself, seven of us, who went when this, when this program. It was in that program, part of the event of that conference, that Ty Tribet had a music, you know, the music artist, had a concert. That was the first time I was really hearing about them, heard of it. They were in that concert. They captured that whole event and everything. Of course, it was just before we started Open Heavens and, and all of that. They had grown, gained one or two things. I had also gained. Okay? It's important that as you are growing, people around you are also growing. I always say this. One thing I've done that God has helped me, enabled me to do very well as a pastor, is that when I see a book that has blessed me, or a message I heard, I heard, I still did this on Friday, on Saturday, yesterday. A message I had that has blessed me, I not only give the book to my wife, I ask her, have you read it? What do you think? What do you think about it? What do you think about it? She does the same thing for me also. Or the message, have you listened to it? What do you think? What do you think? Why am I doing this? I'm protecting myself. I want her to grow like I am growing. So that while I am interested in winning souls, doing the things of God, She's not only just interested in Gucci. This is very important. This is very important. While the husband is no longer interested in maybe some of this, the woman is only interested in that, or vice versa. The man is only interested in that. The woman, and then there's fracture. Then the man's best friend becomes another lady outside of the marriage that they can talk about contemporary issues together. The woman's best friend becomes another man outside of the marriage that they can talk about contemporary issues together. The way that happens, you are opening the door slightly, ever so slightly, to a very strong temptation of the enemy. Because emotional marriage comes before physical marriage. There's nothing I want to discuss now, any topic in the world, whether it's Taliban, whatever it is, whether it's this or that, uh, in the music world, in the days, in the that, we, we all discuss it together. Everybody's carried along. Praise God. So please, conclusion, choose to grow and enable the people around you 
to also grow. And as you do that, God will bless you in Jesus' mighty name. This is the end of the message. We are sure that you have been blessed. For more information, please visit our website at www.houseofpraise.ca. God bless you.